0: Hi there, guys. Welcome to the fourth chapter of this audiobook series, The Pod Storm, right here on The Mac Brown Show. Today, we're going to be covering some really, really powerful insights and ground, all related to fear, fear management, how to break through fear and to let fear become an enabler and assemblage of value in your life, as opposed to a ball and chain, something that defines your future outlook and opportunities. And remember, guys, this is part of a series, so if you are landing here, please go back and get the sequence of episodes, start at chapter one and wind up at the final episode, chapter 12. And if you are enjoying this audiobook series, guys, please do drop me a mail. I'd love to hear from you. It's hello at mattbrownshow.com, and you can also tweet me at mattbrownza. I would love to hear from you. So without further ado, guys, let's get into chapter four of Your Inner Game. 12 Principles for High-Impact Entrepreneurs Chapter 4 Harness Your Fears Player Alon Reyes CEO of Reyes Corp Episode MBS 25, MBS 105 and MBS 143 Principle I will not be fearless, I will be fear less Named must your fear be before banish it you can Yoda Alon Reyes is the founder of Reyes Corp a business prosperator that supports the growth of entrepreneurs RaceCorp currently looks after about 500 businesses across South Africa, Angola, Zimbabwe and Tanzania and about 12,000 businesses have graduated from RaceCorp's programs over the past two decades. Elon launched his first business when he was 23. It was called the New York Sausage Factory and it was in Pinetown near Durban. It was an abysmal failure. The worst thing about it all was that an accountant had done the numbers and he told Elon it would be a failure. But he went ahead and did it anyway because he was young, arrogant and thought he knew better. He tried to make the business work. He put everything he had into it. He had a mentor, an investor whom he regularly asked for advice and it still failed. When you have all the ingredients and a business still fails, there's only one place left to look, the entrepreneur. Alan needed to recognize that he alone was responsible for the failure of his business. He couldn't blame anyone or anything else. He finally plucked up the courage to go and see his investor to tell him that if it took him the rest of his life, he would pay him back. The investor's response was unexpected. He looked at Alan and asked, did I back you or did I back the business? Alan replied that he had backed him. Well, right now, he replied, the business has failed. But if you walk out that door, it will be you who has failed. What did you do wrong? And what will you do differently the next time? The investor knew that what he needed was people, a team, not money. And so, in his next business, his investor backed him with people instead of money. But Alon learned a valuable lesson about fear that day. He said, If something fails, I'll be depressed for a while, but I'll get back up and try again, he told me. That's who I am. I know that as long as I get back up again, I won't fail. The first step to overcoming the fear factor is recognizing you have it. Everyone does. We're all human. But some people are able to go out, pursue their dreams, and take risks regardless of that fear, and others aren't. There's a concept in entrepreneurship called re-entry rate, which is basically the number of times an entrepreneur comes back after failure. In the US, it's 3.6 times. That's the average. In South Africa, it's 1.1 times. Most entrepreneurs in this country fail once and never come back. We try, we fail, and we go and get a job. Alon's relationship with fear and failure is different. Sure, we make mistakes. Yes, we fail. But there are so many lessons to learn when that happens and you can come back and take those lessons and do something great. But you have to be willing to try. Alon lives in fear that his business will fail every day. But he will not live in fear that he will fail. And to him, there's a huge difference. How to become fearless. Consider the relationship between fear and an inner game. Some of us are born with stronger inner game than others, but like any muscle, it can be worked and built up. I'll be covering this more in different contexts later, but for now, a key factor in real, strong, and above all, enduring inner game is the ability to look fear in the face, admit it's there, and then be courageous anyway. This doesn't mean be stupid. Bet your kid's college fund on a risky business bet or allow your big brass balls to rule you in the face of all evidence telling you you're pursuing a bad idea. But it does mean that entrepreneurship is scary as hell and most of the fears that you're facing daily are not only baseless but can be controlled. Everyone's fears are different. You can't lump them all into one basket. They're deeply personal. If you want to build your inner game, you need to figure out what it is that you're scared of and then how you're going to conquer those fears. It's easy to think that entrepreneurs like Elon Musk or Richard Branson are fearless, but this isn't the case. Like you and me, they're human. But there is a reason why entrepreneurs like Zuckerberg, Bezos, Jobs, Musk, and Branson have dominated their markets. They don't operate in the absence of fear, but they are fearless. In a nutshell, they're able to act despite their fear. Colonize Mars? Sure. Launch Virgin Galactic, a spaceflight company? Why not? The same truth has shone through in many of my interviews of the highly successful. The lesson is that your ability to take on greater challenges in business is directly proportionate to your ability to be fearless. This doesn't mean we have no fears. All entrepreneurs have fears, some more than others. In many cases, we let our fears stifle our courage and our capacity to push through the challenges that lie in front of us. We need to find a way to fear less than we do right now. There is an old eastern fable about a traveler who began a long journey across a treacherous mountain range. While on a steep mountain pass, the sun began to set and nightfall closed in. During the night, the traveler lost his way under cloud cover and was forced to stop in complete darkness. Not being able to see anything, he spent the night gripped by fear that he would roll over in his sleep and fall off the cliff to a certain death. He didn't sleep a wink. When morning broke, he opened his eyes to discover that he was on a giant ledge at the top of a mountain and no threat had existed at all. Fear is a tricky thing. It's usually not rational and yet it grabs hold of us with such strength and that no amount of logic can shake it. On an evolutionary level, fear has a very important purpose. It helps us to avoid physical harm and death. It's an undeniably significant survival tool, but that's it. That's the thing and the whole of the thing. It serves no other role, and yet so many of us end up ruled by irrational fears. As entrepreneurs, we end up using fear as a tool to protect our own egos because, like Alan did during the failure of his first business, we think that failure in business is the same as failing personally. Inevitably, we play small so that we can protect ourselves from the threat of our own greatness. Over the years, I have discovered that you get two types of entrepreneurs those who let their fears define them, and those who use their fears to push them forward. The latter are those who inevitably go on to either build scale businesses or are truly able to find their purpose and will chase it, no matter what obstacles they encounter. The former never will. The secret to living in a fear less way is to describe the nightmare, the absolute worst case scenario. What would you lose? What would it cost you? Approach your fears with curiosity while simultaneously observing your reaction. When you're scared of doing something, it's because you're thinking of all the things that could go wrong, instead of just jumping into it and realizing that it's okay. What if you could take all of that shit, say fuck it, and do it anyway? Tim Ferriss talks about a quote that changed his life by Seneca the Younger, a famous Stoic writer. He said, We suffer more often in imagination than in reality. Ferriss took a deep dive into Seneca the Younger's letters because of this idea And from there he discovered the practice of visualizing worst case scenarios. The purpose is straightforward. Imagine in detail the fear that is preventing you from taking action. Really live it. Write it down. Ferris uses an exercise that he calls fear setting. It consists of three pages. Page one is his what if I page. This is where you capture the action that is causing the fear. He splits the page into three columns. Column one is where he defines the fear and lists all the worst things he can imagine happening, if he takes the step that is causing him anxiety. The next column is his prevent column, which is where he tackles each point in the first column. How can he prevent them from happening, or at least decrease their likelihood? The third column is repair. If the worst case does happen anyway, what steps can be taken to repair the damage, even just a little bit? The second page takes a different angle, What are the benefits of at least attempting the step, particularly if you are able to achieve even partial success? So far, Ferris is playing up his fears and only taking a conservative look at the upside of actually taking the step. Page three is the most important page. Here, Ferris lists the cost of inaction. And this is where most entrepreneurs really lose out because of fear paralysis. There is always a cost to not taking that leap and those costs add up. Humans are very good at considering what might go wrong if we try something new. What we don't often consider is the atrocious cost of the status quo, not changing anything. On this page, ask yourself what will happen if you avoid this action or decision or actions and decisions like it. What will your life or business look like in 6 or even 12 months? Will you be achieving your goals? Will you be building the business you're hoping for? We end up so wrapped up in our own fears that we forget just how high the cost of inaction can be. This exercise can be scary as hell. The realities of fear paralysis can be far more terrifying than the fear that's holding you back. Which is the whole point of it in the first place. Since he started fear setting, Ferris says that he can trace all of his biggest wins and all of his biggest disasters averted to this exercise. This doesn't mean that some fears aren't well founded but it is a way to address them without allowing them to completely hold you back. Inaction is always worse than action, even the wrong action. Don't end up living in regret because of choices you didn't make. Alan also points out that we don't need to be alone in this journey. Mentorship and partnerships can play a key role. When I first interviewed Alan in my 25th episode, he gave a great piece of advice to entrepreneurs for overcoming fears. He said, Find someone whose perspective you trust and ask them to hold a mirror up to your fears. Ask them whether you're thinking about things rationally. Basically, find someone who you can lock arms with and who will jump off the bridge with you. Elon is a scale-up entrepreneur. It's not about the money. He just wants to see how big he can build his business. He's also helping thousands of entrepreneurs, which gives what he's doing real meaning and purpose. But he had to decide to jump. He had to face his failures and his fears and get back up. No matter what your goal is, you have to make those decisions too. You have to decide to jump. Nobody can do this for you. You have to decide, and I mean really decide, what you want, so that you can figure out what fears are holding you back. It's okay to fail, as we've seen. It comes with the territory. But at least you won't regret not having tried. The crazy thing about fear is that it's not real. It's a projection of the future that you are bringing into the now. 90% of the things that I have feared, in both business and personally as an entrepreneur, have never happened. I mean literally it never happened. Not even close. When I look back at all the time I spent wrapped up in fear over the things that were beyond my control, I can't help but wonder what I could have done if I used that time to better direct my energies towards more positive outcomes. In almost every case, the only thing to fear is fear itself. If you choose to live in fear, and it is a conscious choice, then you will be miserable. If you don't break through that pattern, then you must learn to be happy in your misery. The alternative is to choose to be fearless. To quote the great Nelson Mandela, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who is afraid, but he who conquers that fear embrace fear face it and you can teach yourself to jump to repeat what i said at the beginning of this chapter becoming fearless is like any other muscle it needs to be worked thinking vaguely about our fears paralyzes us the problem is that we are all very good at embracing the negative narrative in our heads in fact we are genetically hardwired to default to the negative negative. and that keeps us stuck in the same place let's rather work on our inner game develop a set of principles to live by Look for solutions instead, and then nurture the perseverance to see them through. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
1: Hi, Matt. Welcome back. Um, I really love chapter four. As I mentioned previously, I think there's a huge benefit to learning how to be fearless, particularly because for most of us, it's impossible to be completely fearless. And I think it, it, it's unpacked so incredibly well in this chapter. But there's a lot of other things that we look at as well. So when you first chatted to Alan Rays for your podcast, you discussed the concept of re-entry rate. What what do you believe is the fundamental difference between why U.S. entrepreneurs have a three times higher re-entry rate than South Africans? It seems like we just are known for starting a business. It doesn't work giving up, going back and getting a job. What is that difference and how do we overcome it?
0: Cool. So the first way to tackle that is to understand what re-entry rate means. So that is the rate of re-entry, in other words, a founder who has uh, manifested a failed business and then started another one. That's the re-entry rate. So in South Africa, it's one. And I think in the US, it's three point something. The Well, my I don't think there's an obvious answer to this, but I would say that my working theory is that it comes down to culture. I think in South Africa, um, where it comes from, I'm not sure, but certainly I think we have a culture of entitlement, a big culture of entitlement, especially in the youth So re-entry rates of one versus three or multiples of three in the US and other countries being even higher in some cases, like in Scandinavia, you know, I'm not surprised, Uh, but it is a cultural thing. It comes from social conditioning. So when you are entitled, you feel that things should come to you easier than what they actually do. And so uh, the interesting reality is, is that if you do the things that are hard, life is easy. If you do the things that are easy, life is hard. And so this is the problem, right? We feel that things should be easier in some cases. Well, if I started, co- by the way, there's this whole narrative of Silicon Valley, right? Which is start a company and six months later sell it for a hundred million dollars, right? Because you can. And if you read TechCrunch and all this kind of stuff, you can see how fast economic value can be created, but there are exceptions. They are not the rule. So when you start a company, you immediately go, well, six months later, why am I not making a million a month? Please explain that one to me. Oh, this is harder than I thought. And so we have to then wrestle with ourselves about why we want to go through the pain of having to only make 10,000 a month or 100,000 a month or whatever that number is. So this is the, the, the reality, right? It's all about... Culture, your own social conditioning, or your conditioning about how you feel things should be for you, and in reality, we always underestimate what the challenges are going to be. We always do. We think it's going to be easier. When I was twenty-six and I found animus potential, I was like, "Cool, it's going to be easy to teach people about life." And by all accounts, I could have stuck with it, and I probably would have been successful. Like with anything, if you stick with it, you would have been—you would be, you know—most likely successful at it. Um, but the reality is, is that I didn't because I expected it to be easier. I was, I thought that having had a success already as a 26 year old, I just, the stars aligned, things got lucky. I sold my first business that I was going to do it again. Like I was untouchable, but in reality, that expectation was completely wrong. And so one has to address those expectations always, every single day. So there's that formula, you know, expectations minus reality equals happiness. And that's very, very true.
1: I want to talk a little bit about your example, though, because at the end of the day, yes, absolutely. But in terms of re-entry rate, you didn't let what happened with Animus stop you from starting another business. So your re-entry rate is actually incredibly high because you were willing to take the hard knock, learn from it and then implement some of those lessons into your next business and your business after that. And, and at the end of the day, that's what re-entry rate is, as we've discussed, right? It's it's being willing to fail forward, learn from your mistakes and, and carry on pushing to reach those, those goals. In South Africa right now, knowing what we know around the unemployment rates we've got and around how many kids are going to be leaving school or university and not being able to get a job, how important is it to first of all, foster entrepreneurship. And secondly, really get the message across that it's okay to fail. It's even important to fail because that's what's going to get you to a business that is ultimately sustainable.
0: Yep. Again, this goes back to who are you? What kind of founder are you? I mean, are you, you know, this is the reality, right? So the way that I see it goes like this, irrespective of whether you work for uh, an employer, you're going to have problems. If you start a business, you're going to have problems. So The trick is to figure out what kind of problems can you see yourself solving every single day. And this is why we don't re-enter the market with a new business, right? Because when we fail, especially when you uh, fail for the first time, you take it personally. I took it personally. I was like, I'm a failure. And one of the biggest insights that Alan Reyes taught me was that when a business fails, it's not you that failed, it's the business, So when you recognize that it's not you, you don't suck. It's just the business. Businesses fail all the time, right? Reentry is necessary for success. You're not going to strike it lucky the first time you're out of the gates. You are going to fail miserably, most likely. You know, it takes 15 years to become an overnight success because you have to compound your learnings over and over and over again. To become uh, the person, the CEO, the founder, the entrepreneur, who has momentum, who has sufficient experience in order to execute properly, to figure out what really matters to you, to figure out how to sell, to figure out how to scale, to figure out how to fail and not take that shit personally, and that's the trick. But we don't teach that stuff at school. You know, you mentioned school. You know, et cetera, et cetera. But we not taught that stuff at school. At school, we taught, ah, failure's bad, you didn't get an A. And so the whole competitive frame of reference is in, you know, grades. And what a sucky benchmark to have for who you are as a human being and what your potential could be. You know, this is why we founded uh, the Dreamers Dojo, which is all around, you know, working with schools and universities to help educate them about the realities of business and entrepreneurship, right? Because it's very different to a geography test, or a school and that's teaching about Latin. I mean, why on earth are we learning about Latin? You know. Uh, so while there is value in some of those things, the reality is that education and the systems around education were built to deliver information. But now, information is everywhere. We have too much information. So what is the relevance of school? And so this is the paradigm shift that we need to have as leaders, right? As parents, as individuals is to recognize that failure is inevitable. Yes, you have to fail forward, but you have to re-enter, right? And so the reality is people don't teach you that when a business fails, it's not you that failed. Like, where did that come from? It comes from experience. So you have to have the QBE in life in order to be successful, qualified by experience.
1: I mean, a critical ingredient to everything you're talking about right now is you have to be willing to change because you can't keep doing what you've always done and expect a different result. And one of the concepts that comes across strongly in this chapter is this idea of the cost of the status quo, this idea that we're often so scared of change. But in that fear, we're doing harm to ourselves, our businesses, our customers, our teams, because there is a better way out there. How do business owners calculate the cost of the status quo in their own lives to realize that not changing is far worse than taking that step, taking the risk and making the change? And and what advice would you give them around just taking that step?
0: Well, you have to have a framework. So the frame, there's two. One is opportunity cost. So what's the cost of doing nothing versus the cost of doing something and vice versa. So recognizing that if I want to go after a particular opportunity, there's a cost. If I don't go after that opportunity, there's a cost. And to write down what that is. The other thing, writing is such an important, and again, overlook practice. It's just write down the thing that you're thinking about because when you see it on a page, you can go, ah, that's where I need to go. This makes more sense to me. The other uh, financial term is return on capital, right? So what is my hurdle rate or my minimum rate of return, should I invest a million dollars in this new product, this new service? If I pivot my business here, what's my return going to be? Because if I put a million dollars into a new product, I want to be getting at least a three to five times multiple initially in the first 12 months, 12 to 24 months at a minimum. So those are some financial metrics that you can use. But you need to figure out what frameworks and metrics matter to you the most. What makes most sense to you? I like opportunity cost because it's a simple way to look at two things on one page. It's like if you draw a line down the middle of the page and you go, What am I scared of? Right? Or what maybe let's reframe this. So, what uh, are the benefits of me doing something versus what are the negative consequences of me doing something? And so, the disassociative process by writing these things down is where you can see things and remove the association and the emotion from the decision. Because this is the thing, what ruins businesses is poor decision-making. What drives poor decision-making is emotion. Scared, you're scared, you're fearful of pivoting and changing everything that you've built in order to be successful in five years time. Because we don't want to sacrifice short-term benefits or short-term reward versus delayed gratification. Nobody wants delayed gratification right? We suck at that because it's Facebook. Everything is instant, right? God forbid I have to watch a five second ad, right? It's all short term gratification. I want my thing now. I don't want to wait 60 seconds for it. I want it now. By the way, if I want to order lunch, I just get Uber Eats. If if I want to go from A to B, I order Uber. It's all instant. It's frictionless. So our whole society has been socially uh, driven towards instant gratification. In business, nothing is instant. You don't become an overnight success unless you're prepared to invest ten to fifteen years. And so that's the that's the paradigm shift that needs to happen.
1: I love that. And just like that, we've completely nailed how important this idea and this concept of being fearless is, because that's that's everything that ties it together, right? Such incredibly important advice. Um, okay, thank you. Let's let's dive into chapter five and continue to speak to one of the next superheroes of of the story.
0: Let's do it.